0: You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Stag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised.
1: Hello, and welcome to the place where the revolution will not be televised.
0: But it may be podcast. I'm Kate. And I'm John.
1: This is the People's Podcast, and today we'll be talking about episode six of season five of The Walking Dead entitled Consumed. As usual in this podcast, John and I will talk through what happened in the episode from beginning to end, veering off on whichever tangents take our fancy, and then we'll discuss any especially interesting aspects of the episode in more detail. At the start of this episode, we see Carol driving away from Rick when she's first banished. There's a series of scenes where she's first crying in the car, and then setting up a camp, and then she sees the fire at the prison. She Mm -hmm. sees the smoke from it. Mm -hmm. And that gets us to the credits. She did an amazing job showing Carol going through a series of emotions, because I really felt that by the time she saw the smoke from the prison, she had decided to basically just get on with things.
0: Yes. It looked like she'd come to some kind of resolution, which is actually quite an achievement in such a small montage of what was going on. Mm. But she obviously cared enough to go, oh shit, I need to go back. She
1: hightailed it back. <laughs> yes. Yes. So then we have the credits, and we come back to a different shot of Carol driving around. It's Carol and Daryl following the car with the cross on it.
0: Yes. It feels like such a long time since we saw them leave. Two whole episodes. Yeah. It's been ages.
1: So they follow that car as far as Atlanta. They get into the city, but the cops driving the car stop for some reason or other. I couldn't really see why. And they can't start their car again, so they lose them. mm So they need to hold up for the night, and they go to a women's shelter that Carol was familiar with. Yep. And after they've cleared a room and fortified a bit and got themselves set up, they have the Carol and Daryl version of a heart-to-heart. Yes. It's remarkably similar to the Tyrese and Rick version of a heart-to-heart.
0: There were a few more words in this version. That's true. (laughs) I mean, Tyrese and Rick's version was, I'm not okay, yes you are. Good talk. Good talk, good talk. Let's go back to being madly men. Whereas the Carol and Daryl version had not a lot more words, but significantly more.
1: That's true. I feel like Carol was dragging the average up.
0: Yes. Was it in that scene that she said to Daryl, You haven't asked me about what happened with the children? And Daryl says, I know what happened, they're not here. And Carol goes, No, it's worse than that.
1: I feel like that that was later on in the episode when they're in the swanky apartment.
0: Oh, okay. But I think,
1: though I mean, all of their conversations this episode basically work as one long conversation. Yes. So they're sort of slowly working their way through what happened with Lizzie and and what happened with... Oh, I can't remember their names, but what happened when Carol burnt the two sick people.
0: Mm. Have you noticed in this episode, Smoke and Fire, very, very much Carol's motif in this episode. Oh,
1: absolutely, Mm. yeah. In this conversation... What she's talking about is when he turned up at the car, was she planning to leave? Mm. And if so, why?
0: And she said that she still doesn't actually know whether she's going to leave or not. But I remember we talked about that back in that episode. We were sort of wondering what she was doing out there, sort of going, well, it's a strange time to go and check on the car on your own in the middle of the night. Mm. I think we speculated that she was actually possibly planning to go.
1: Oh yes, that was your guess and I thought it was a good one. We also have the fan-baiting shots of the two of them on the lower bunk.
0: (laughs) Yes. You could just imagine the hordes of fans, seeing them lying next to each other, all leaning forward towards their TV and leaning over and going, they're
1: kissed! (laughs) (laughs) I imagine that those shots are already, I'd say... 40,000 people's desktop computer shot?
0: <laughs> Probably, yes. Probably. And well-deserved, I think.
1: Ah, it was nice. Carol asks the question, do we get to save people anymore?
0: I thought she posed it more strongly than that. I thought she said, I don't think we get to save people anymore. I think she's kind of decided that maybe her actions have deemed her unworthy to save people. You know, she is now someone who does away with them. Rather than saves them. Mm. I mean, a lot of this episode is clearly Carol struggling with guilt about some of the things that she's done. And I reckon this is one of the manifestations of that. She somehow feels unworthy to be a saviour. Which... Maybe explains the way that she reacted when she met up with the group again after saving them from Terminus and, you know, and Rick being so thankful towards her and, I mean, I wouldn't have expected anyone to sort of go, oh yes, aren't I wonderful? But she looked really uncomfortable. Mm. And I think maybe this is connected. I think she was feeling undeserving of any kind of gratitude even then. And I think she still is.
1: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good interpretation of some quite taciturn conversations. Mm. One of the things they find in the women's shelter is a woman and her kid as zombies in one of the waiting rooms. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly because of the frosted glass they were behind, it was almost Carol and Sophia knocking on the door. Oh,
0: absolutely. Maybe she was thinking, this could have been me. You know, if if she had decided to leave at a different time, brought Sophia with her, just as the outbreak was happening, that could have been them.
1: There might be two things going on with Carol. One of them is the guilt that you talked about. But it's clear that she's also feeling quite liberated in many ways. Mm. She talks about feeling at the prison like she finally got to be who she was meant to be.
0: Yeah, but that was a long time before now. That's quite unrelated, I think, to how she's feeling now.
1: Well, the prison's only, like, well, how long ago? A few weeks?
0: Yeah, but so at the prison she said that she... Felt like she had become who she really was or who she thought she should be. But the result of that was her being banished. She burned the bodies and then she had to go quite soon afterwards. Yes. Because Rick made her leave. So all the things that she feels guilty about really happened post-prison. Well, know? that's
1: true. However, I do still feel like she's not totally sad about having had to leave her former life and her former identity behind. Because she obviously wasn't ha- that happy with either of them. That's true. It might even be that one of the things she's feeling guilty about is that sometimes she actually feels better about who she is now.
0: Yeah. And yep. so
1: the, the woman and the kid in the waiting room behind the frosted glass are almost sort of the ghosts of who she used to be.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I think that makes perfect sense.
1: Well, those ghosts are dead the next morning because Daryl has, in a very gentleman-like way...
0: Well, he deliberately said you don't need to kill them. They're already dead, but they—you don't need to be the one to end them permanently. Yeah. Although I don't know, I mean, if if they were the ghosts of who she was, maybe it would have been symbolic if she had. But I think it probably just would have been very traumatic. I think Daryl was right. Yes. And in a sense, I mean, being there as the bodies were being burnt the next morning, I reckon, is symbolic as well. Yes. And probably to some extent therapeutic for Carol.
1: And again, we have the motif of fire. We do these stand-ins for her former self are being burned away. Yeah. That fire also triggers a flashback, and she's back to digging Lizzie's grave, which she looks pretty upset about, understandably. Mm. And again, she sees fire, and I'm pretty sure that's her seeing the fire that Daryl and Beth lit at the... well, not cottage. Cottage makes it sound really sweet. Cabin. At the cabin they were staying in. Yeah. So, yeah, again, we're seeing this fire and these columns of smoke going throughout the whole episode. Back in present day, Carol and Daryl leave the women's shelter, and Carol seems to have taken the book. Yeah. Tom Sawyer's Adventures. Presumably, that reminds her of something. Mm. So, based on their assumptions about where the car might have been going the night before, mm. they start to do a bit of a recce of the middle of town, but they're being followed. Yes. They head into a swanky apartment and have an adorable conversation about a painting. <laughs>
0: Yes, well, obviously, Daryl doesn't think much of it, comparing it to a dog wiping its ass across the canvas, whereas Carol seems to uh, quite like it.
1: Mm. I wonder what Daryl's going to make of the Caravaggio at the hospital.
0: <laughs> well, presumably, Daryl is one of those people who just doesn't have any truck with modern art. He well, probably thinks. He probably thinks Renaissance, then. Well, yeah, he probably thinks that a picture actually of something, recognisable, is probably okay. You know, one of those literalists. And I have some sympathy for that kind of view.
1: From their vantage point in the swanky apartment, they see another cross-marked van that seems to have been abandoned Mm -hmm. on a flyover. Mm -hmm. On their way out of the building, they are ambushed by Noah.
0: By Noah.
1: Yeah. He shows a lot more chutzpah than he did in the hospital.
0: Yeah. But considering who he was screwing over, it kind of made me go, oh, Noah. Silly boy. Silly boy. (laughs) All you had to say was the word Beth to them and they would have helped you. (laughs) Oh
1: yes, but given that he's not meant to be psychic, it seems fine that he just stole their weapons. Yeah. Carol seems to be taking a shot at him as he's running away. And
0: And Daryl pushes her hand.
1: Yes. What did you think was going on there? Did you think she was actually aiming for the legs?
0: I thought she was. But Daryl explains his actions later on when she's trying to justify it. And he goes, he was just a kid. And Carol's sort of going, well, well it doesn't really matter if he's just a kid. He stole our weapons. Mm. You know, he stole our means of staying alive. I had some pity for both sides, to be honest. This isn't really the kind of situation where you can put up with your weapons being stolen, even by, he's not really a kid, he's a young adult. Yeah. So, you know, I can understand Daryl kind of going, oh, he's just a kid. But that place was fucking riddled with walkers.
1: What I don't understand is that between this moment, when he's talking about the fact that this is just a kid, and the moment when he's willing to leave Noah pinned under a bookshelf Mm. for a walker, Noah hasn't done anything more to him. So his relationship to this kid, who he's happy to let run off with the weapons... is identical. Nothing new has been introduced to it, except a few arguments with Carol.
0: No, 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 no. There is something that he did. When the walker falls on Carol, Mm. isn't that because he pushed the walker into her? Is it? I thought it was.
1: Alright. Well, that explains Daryl's anger a bit more, because otherwise he just sort of U-turned on this guy. Okay, well that makes a lot more sense then, in terms of Daryl's change of heart. Yeah. Following their being mugged by this guy, basically, Mm. they have an argument, which is sort of the first time they've actually started to have it out about what's going on with her. She says a lot of stuff. She talks Mm. about, you know, she really wants to stay alive because she thinks she might be going to hell. Mm. And she desperately wants the others to be alive, but can't watch them die.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, they are totally consistent goals, so.
1: She's in a little conundrum there. Is she? Doesn't she need to stick around to help them stay alive?
0: Okay, that's not what I took from that. I thought they were totally consistent with each other. Okay. If you want someone to stay alive and you don't want to watch them die, isn't the best way... I suppose the best way of doing that is to leave, but the second best way is to ensure their survival. Yes. By being around. (laughs) To make sure they survive. And Carol's proven herself quite good at that.
1: This is the argument during which because it falls out of Daryl's bag, mm. we see that he also took a book from the women's shelter, and it was the book for survivors of child abuse. Mm. I
0: thought that was very interesting. We don't know a lot about Daryl's childhood, mm-hmm. but I, I'm pretty sure we know it was troubled.
1: Oh, we know it was extremely troubled. Yeah. We know that, for example, he could disappear into the woods for days without his parents really noticing.
0: Mm. And um, we know that
1: he was ra- mostly raised by Merle... Like, I don't think Merle would have been a contestant for Father of the Year. No,
0: well, I got the impression that Merle was at least somewhat abusive towards him. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and given the book that he's taken, I think there's a fairly good chance his parents are abusive towards him as well. Yeah. Um,
1: I think it's completely consistent with what we have been shown of his past. Mm.
0: I thought it was interesting when, just before the book fell out of Daryl's bag, Carol said that she just didn't want to be around, and Daryl said, well, you are around. You're here. You have to deal with it. Basically just saying, this is how it is. Mm -hmm. You don't really have the luxury of going off on little jaunts on your own to sort your feelings out. You need to deal with the fact that we're here and we're back together again. And then Carol kind of counters him by saying that, you know, neither of them are the people that they used to be. I think maybe at that point she was sort of saying, well, in that circumstance, anyone's going to need some time to figure shit out, maybe.
1: So you either need to leave or you need to decide to stay. That's the sort of knife edge she's wavering on, I think. Yes. And it seems to me that a lot of his stuff is just... He doesn't want to push her, but I think it would absolutely devastate him if she chose to leave.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the manner in which he snapped back at her, Mm. well, you're here, deal with it, was a sign that actually (laughs) the thought of you going (laughs) makes me really angry. Yes. And you leaving would make me angry with you. Despite what she needs or thinks she needs, I think Daryl needs Carol.
1: Absolutely. You complete me! (laughs) Ah, dear. So many feels. The next thing they do is head off to the cross van that they saw when they were up in the Swanky apartment. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Cross-marked van. A few things happen here. They get cornered by a swarm of walkers. And they have to jump into the van and the van's very precariously perched on the edge of the motorway.
0: Yes, and they lock themselves in and put on their seatbelts and prepare to land heavily and we see that ridiculous scene of the van tipping forward. Like you can see it practically vertical at the end of that shot. Yeah. And then it lands on all four wheels. Oh, yes. And it's like what well, is stupid.
1: Well, we've covered before <laughs> all the vehicles in this show have a great sense of drama.
0: <laughs> Clearly. And then there was the last shower of walkers yeah, the, afterwards.
1: The walker drizzle. Yes. <laughs> that was quite a you could see that someone in the stunts and makeup department had a lot of fun.
0: Yes. And then we saw um as they walked off, Carol holding her arm, we saw Bicycle Girl's brother stretching out after them. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: The other thing they find in the van, before all that happens, is the stretcher, which has initials on it, which gives them yep. a clue about which hospital it might have come from. Yeah, So that's important, because the next thing they decide to do is go and scout out the hospital. hmm While they're watching from there, they have another heart-to-heart, and Daryl asks what she meant by saying they weren't who they were before. Who are they now, then?
0: hmm
1: What did you think of her responses?
0: I thought they were very interesting. You know, her response, again, played into this motif of fire. Mm. That is the hallmark of this episode and and Carol. She talks about who she was, previous versions of Carol being burned away by the things that had happened to her. While she was talking, and, uh, and straight afterwards, I was thinking about how we become who we are through the choices that we make. But also through the repeated choices that we make. You know, the habits that we get into, Mm -hmm. the rhythms of our lives. And the thing about this life, the life that Carol leads and the others lead, is that there isn't a lot of rhythm to it. In terms of, I mean, they get up and they look for food and look out for walkers and that kind of thing. But the rest of their lives is quite chaotic. Mm. And you don't get this kind of rut that you continually walk every day. You don't wear a groove into your life really getting to know who you are through repetition. Yep. So, in a sense, the Carol that was the battered housewife and mother, all of the things that made Carol that person... I mean, once her husband was dead, she was no longer a battered wife. Once Sophia had gone missing and then she finds out that Sophia had become a walker, mm. and she was no longer a mother. So, that identity was gone. And then she talked about becoming someone else at the prison. But being that person was unacceptable to Rick at that time anyway. Mm. So she had to leave and that person was burnt away as well. I think that constantly being confronted with, I guess, new challenges, new situations, the lack of routine, the lack of being able to establish a real pattern might have something to do with it. It's a little bit like peeling an onion, you know, there's just more layers underneath. You peel off one layer and there's another one. I wonder if this means that eventually you burn away all the outside layers and there is this core at the middle, or whether it's, you're meant to be some kind of constantly changing thing, you know, and it's more like skin. The outer layers coming off, but constantly being replaced at the same time. So you never come to a kind of core. You just kind of grow new skin. You grow a new you every time you need one.
1: Yeah, maybe. It's interesting. They do have these routines to their lives. The things that are required to survive. Mm. They have to find shelter, they have to fortify the shelter, they have to find enough food, they have to find enough drinking water, which is becoming harder and harder as time goes on. Mm. They have to fight off any attacks that come. And you're right in that they have far fewer choices than they had before all this happened. But I still think when you only have one or two choices a day that are genuinely yours and are genuinely a choice... That's really what your life becomes about, about those moments where you have a choice. And it's very much what the show's increasingly about. They show us these quick little montages of them setting up camp or whatever, and I enjoy the hell out of them. (laughs) But the show is about whether or not Carol was right to burn those people. The show is about what you do when Lizzie happens. The show is about the very small percentage of choices that they have left.
0: Yes, like the choice that Rick... And Glenn made when they were escaping Terminus as to whether they open the other carriage or not.
1: Exactly. And I don't think that the lessened choice in their life means that they have less chance to have identity. I think that it just means that those choices become even more important.
0: Yep. I think the other thing is that the choices that they face now, there might be less of them, but they're far more consequential.
1: Absolutely.
0: In a sense, they're also far more formative than the ones that face you and I every day.
1: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) And so, I mean, that would speed the development of a new you.
1: Yeah, if you really are making life or death choices every day.
0: Yeah. and (laughs) Literally. and, And you could imagine one of those choices, you know, like having to put down a child, completely destroying who you thought you were.
1: Yes. I wonder, when you look at the set of choices that Carol's been given and that she's made... Really, with the exception of the choice to kill and burn the sick people in the prison, with the exception of that, none of her choices have actually really been ones where she had many options. Killing Lizzie was extremely sad, but definitely necessary. Yeah. So I wonder as well about how much of what she's carrying around is guilt, and how much is just grief at what this world requires.
0: That's a, yeah, okay, I think that's an important distinction. Sometimes there aren't good and bad choices. Sometimes all the choices are bad. All you get to do is choose. And, yeah, I guess in that sense it's not necessarily going to be guilt. It would be a lot more akin, I guess, to grief. But I don't know. I reckon even if you're forced to make a choice in a situation where all the options are bad, mm. I reckon you can still carry guilt about it.
1: Oh, yes. Um... And she's, I mean, whether or not she's still praying, she has certainly come out of a religious background. Whether or not, you know, you and I agree with it, she would have been provided with a very clear set of right and wrong.
0: Well, you must think that any moral code that she was given would not have been consistent with killing the two sick people. No. Or Lizzie. So she's well and truly done away with the original code she was given. Mm. (laughs) Made some pretty heavy modifications to it. Yes. (laughs)
1: Daryl's response is interesting as well. Remind me. Daryl just says we're not ash.
0: As in we're not dead.
1: I think it's meaning that we may have been gone over by the fire a few times, but it hasn't burned us away.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah. I suppose that's the pertinent point, isn't it? At the end of the day, they're not dead yet.
1: Yeah, they're still here, and they've got to save Beth.
0: They do. Daryl, I think, has come across in the past as having hidden depths. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also a... You know how sometimes you can see those sort of optical illusions in pools which don't look deep but actually are, Mm -hmm. for example? I think it's possible the tarot might be the other way around. He might appear deep because he doesn't say a whole lot, but in fact may have a reasonably simple outlook on at least some parts of life. Of course he's
1: he's deep, John. (laughs) Haven't you seen his biceps?
0: (laughs) Yes, I, I... remember admiring at least one of them in this episode. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the thing. If you don't say a lot, you can appear deep. Well, yes. And, you know, for a long time, Daryl hasn't said a lot. But his outlook on life could be comparatively simple. If his response to, I keep rediscovering who I am and it's so confusing, and his he just goes, well, you're not dead. All of this burning away of layers has a point to it. And the point is you're still alive. I'm not saying it's not intelligent. It's just not incredibly complex.
1: Yes, and that's what I was going to say. Deep doesn't have to be complicated. Yes. He he seems to have a very zen sort of deep going on. Yeah. Anyway, they talked about this far less than we did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately for us, we don't have the kind of telepathy that Carol and Daryl seem to be capable of. That's true. We have to nut out what they mean with their three words. Yes.
1: (laughs) They hear a struggle, and it's Noah, who it turns out used up all of his wherewithal and survival skills, stealing the weapons from them (laughs) and has managed to get himself cornered. How much time
0: did he spend outside before he went to the hospital? Because he seems to have spent none, you know, judging by his survival skills, which seemed to be totally non existent.
1: Yes. I think that he mentions that he was in a safe zone in Richmond. So he was in, I don't know, some version of Woodbury or whatever, Mm. and he and his father left it to go look for his uncle.
0: Yeah. I find it a bit... So maybe
1: he hasn't been amongst it for a year.
0: Yeah. I still find it a little odd that he didn't at least try to talk to Daryl and Carol.
1: When he was stealing the weapons?
0: Well, once you had the weapons, for example, what have you got to lose by trying to find out... How
1: chatty are the two people you've just stolen weapons from gonna be?
0: Well, I don't know. I kind of imagined that Beth might have told him something about where she, like, oh, I was with this guy. I think there's a fairly good chance he's going to try and find me.
1: I think we saw basically all of the conversations that they had. Yeah, maybe. But also, he knows, and he tries to hide it in that scene, but he knows he's got an injured leg. There's the two of them. They're still holding knives and things like that. Mm. I would just be getting away from them as soon as I could. Yeah, right. None of them know what we know about them. I know, family. I
0: know, I know. It's just that, you know, he's on his own with zero skills. I just think that it wouldn't have been stupid to have a little bit of faith in humanity at this point.
1: If I just busted out of the hospital, I might not have that much faith in making new friends.
0: Well, if you could, for example, show some good faith by saying, by the way, don't go near the hospital, they're fucking psychos. That's true. He might not have much to offer in terms of skills, but he's got knowledge.
1: That's true. Of
0: the area and of the people in it.
1: And say what you will about Noah, instead of just getting out of Atlanta, he has acquired some weapons and he's gone to watch the hospital, perhaps Mm. in the hopes of trying to help Beth further. Maybe. Because otherwise, what's he doing hanging around there?
0: Well, he's a bit useless.
1: (laughs) You think he's starting to miss it?
0: Well, I just think maybe he just hadn't found a car yet or something.
1: Maybe. I think if he's that worried about being found by the people from the hospital, he wouldn't be across the road, unless he was observing. Mm. That's what I reckon, anyway.
0: Fair enough.
1: I'm choosing to have faith in Noah a little bit. <laughs> At the end of the struggle between them and Noah and them and the walkers and Noah and the walkers, <laughs> Noah is under a bookshelf. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep.
1: <because> he <laughs> fucked with Daryl. <laughs>
0: Oh, silly boy.
1: And there's a walker about to break through and get at him. Yes. And he's pretty stuffed. Yes. And Daryl wants to just leave him.
0: Well, as I said, I'm pretty sure it's because he almost got Carol killed. Yeah. Daryl has a berserk button. I think he might have two. And one is Beth and one is Carol.
1: I think the other one might be Judith too.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, Judith is probably everyone's Berserk button. Probably. Oh, well, Tyrese the is
1: there to Berserk around her now, so. Daryl can move on to other things.
0: Tyrese is very much the absolutely last resort, like, within a hairs yeah. with the Judith dying Berserk button.
1: Do you know what? Three episodes without going back to the church. I want to know what's going on with Carl and Rick.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. I want to
1: know what's going on with Sasha. I haven't missed Tyrese at all. No. No. I, hope he's, I hope he's taken these three episodes, slash 24 hours, to sort his shit out.
0: <laughs> yes, me too.
1: When Daryl hits his berserk button, he goes full hard case. Mm. I love that the world provided him with all the props he needed.
0: <laughs> I think the writers provided him with all the props yeah, he potato, needed.
1: Potato, potato. <laughs> like the first cigarettes they've seen in two
0: years. That was <laughs> <Palace laughs> funny. Yeah.
1: But it was effective, he was kind of terrifying. Yeah, it was. But Carol convinces him in the end.
0: Yes, yes, although she doesn't think that she's convinced him. No. Because he, he's walking away and then she turns to help him and then the zombie gets an arrow in the head.
1: Yeah, and I wonder if she actually did convince him or if he just realised she was going to die if he didn't do something.
0: Yeah, maybe. But he's glad afterwards.
1: Mm. We have, I think, our final flashback of the episode, which is Carol taking off the poncho of horror. Ah, yes. She's busted Terminus wide open, and she's removing that unique garment.
0: (laughs) I did think it was looking rather fleshy.
1: Textured.
0: (laughs) Yes, textured. (laughs) It wasn't just blood. There was a certain amount of skin and tissue attached.
1: She wipes all the horror off her face, and again, she's looking at a massive
0: column of of smoke. Yeah. Mm.
1: Fire. Back in present day, Noah freaks out about being so near to the hospital and the fact they will have heard the shots that he fired off. (laughs) I'm beginning to think he's just bait they send out to catch people
0: with. (laughs) Just ridiculous. Mm -hmm.
1: So he mentions that he's been in the hospital, and finally, they all find out that they know Beth. Yes. they see that there's a cross-marked car coming and they're all trying to get out of the way? It seemed to me that if you thought there were people heading towards you in a really big building, running down to the front door wasn't the best way to avoid the people coming in.
0: No, but, you know, how else could Carol be hit by the car?
1: (laughs) They hit Carol! Oh,
0: that was... Yeah, I mean, I think you're on my theory when seeing Carol being brought into the hospital was, oh, she's not hurt that badly. Clearly that's not the case. You know, there's her arm, and then there was being hit by the car.
1: Darren's going to skin people.
0: <laughs> yes, he will. Yes, he will. I'll buy front row seats.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Are they going to look a lot like this couch? Yes. Excellent.
0: Well, you know, I expect it to be long, drawn out, and painful. So, you know, going to get comfy. Yep. <laughs> So Noah, though, holds Daryl back from intervening, making the actually very logical point that if Daryl breaks his cover, he's going to have to kill the police officers and then he'll be stuck with Carol injured, not knowing how to make her better. Whereas if he lets them go, she'll be taken to a hospital and seen by a doctor. So Noah says the only sensible thing I think he's ever said.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Do you think that they hit Carol on purpose?
0: Yeah, I reckon she didn't see them coming. Uh, I reckon there's a good chance they're going to try and sell her some kind of story. That, oh, you came out of nowhere and we didn't see you. Yeah. When, in fact, what they've really done is just engineered another situation where they can demand that Carol owes them something. And, you know, she ends up being either a physical or sexual slave to Mm. them.
1: I don't see that happening in Carol's future, do you?
0: No. I think if anyone tried to make Carol a sexual slave, I don't know, images of bits being bitten off immediately come to mind.
1: Well... They've just reminded us all that she actually was subject to an abusive relationship. Mm. Now, she's not the person who that happened to anymore. No. She's, a lot's happened to her since then to change her and make her stronger. And, but I wonder what it's going to do to her mm. to wake up in a place where that's a part of life again.
0: Yeah. Well, it will be interesting to see whether the old Carol really was burnt away or whether she just kind of fell into a dormant state. Because I think the thing is with domestic abuse is that the abuser basically conditions the abused person to have triggers which make them feel worthless and powerless and therefore unable to fight back. And some of those triggers, I'm sure, are quite common to lots of abusive situations. Mm. So if one of the police officers become physically abusive to her, it might just bring all of that rushing back.
1: She didn't leave her husband. No. She didn't ever actually have it out with him or, or overcome no. him. This world just removed him.
0: Mm. But she may have genuinely changed between then and now. Yes. Enough to go, this isn't happening to me again. Fuck you. In, and certainly that's what I hope. Yes. Um... I suppose, from a storytelling point of view, it would be interesting and satisfying to see her perhaps struggle a little bit with those feelings and then overcome them. Yes. It would be indicative that true change has occurred. And it would be a more believable kind of change than if you saw no sign that Carol had had ever been a battered wife. Yeah. If you saw some remnant of it, a moment of weakness before she reasserts the real Carol now. Mm. And, you know, chops his balls off or something. (laughs) Which would be lovely. (laughs) I think it'll be interesting to see what happens.
1: Well, just to finish off, Daryl and Noah, they acquire a truck and they head back to the church. And Noah, who is now with the person who was willing to leave him to die (laughs) ten minutes ago... yes. And who is looking increasingly like a hard case.
0: Well, both of his berserk buttons are now in this are now in this hospital. Absolutely. Um, so
1: Noah is looking sort of rightly freaked out.
0: Yes. He's thinking, I'm the passenger seat and crazy is driving the bus. Absolutely. <laughs> but of course you and I, knowing Daryl much better than Noah, consider that to be quite exciting, really. Yes. So do you think it's quite obvious now that when Daryl steps out to Michonne, clearly it's Noah who's in the bushes behind him?
1: Yes, I think so. That makes the most sense. Because, I mean, as we said during that episode, anyone who knew the group, why would they hang back in the bushes? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe as they're driving back with that truck, which is conveniently picking up Abraham's group-sized, <laughs> they yep. happen to bump into them on the road, and that short-circuits everyone getting back there.
0: Are they travelling along the same roads?
1: How many roads can there be?
0: Well, they clearly didn't cross a road with thousands of walkers
1: in the way. Neither did Abraham and Co, because they came back from that road.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's true. We don't actually know yet that they've come back from that road, though. No. The episode ended with them on that road, having decided not to continue forward. That's true.
1: In my head, what I'm doing is I'm applying an Australian country template... So there is one road between every town and the next town, and all the towns are on the one road.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure if you can make that uh, assumption.
1: No, I think you're right.
0: <laughs> not everyone had the same sense as the Australian people did when they built their roads.
1: Not everyone had shit land. Either.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Anyway, that's the end of the episode. What sort of associations did you have with the fire motif that was through this episode?
0: I don't know, it felt a bit like the symbology which had always been there was thrown into sharp relief in such a way that suddenly I saw it and thought, oh, why didn't I notice it before? Okay. But then again, if I rewatched it, I'm not sure if I would necessarily notice that fire is something that Carol sees a lot of, whether that's just something that they juxtaposed in this particular episode. I think that it's in the nature of fire to change what passes through it put something in one end and what you get out the other end is something chemically different yes. that behaves differently, which reacts differently in different situations than what you had to start out with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even in terms of the chemical process of burning, what Carol talked about, there is an analogy there which holds. You know, she's a totally different thing after all of her trials and it's happened repeatedly.
1: There are rich associations with fire, even before you get to these episodes... It's something that's elemental to a whole lot of human activity. It's, you know, representative of heaps of things, from funeral pyres to the fact that it's both dangerous and cleansing. It can be life or death, and it's, you know, fire is, is a, it's a very powerful symbol to tap into, and it has so many different meanings overlaid. Mm. But I did think it was interesting, in the last season, Carol and Daryl both independently had important moments to do with fire. Carol had the moment where she killed the two sick people and then burnt their bodies,
0: mm.
1: which was fire as death, and fire as a weapon, and fire as something dangerous but also very dark. Mm. Daryl's moment with fire was when he and Beth burned the shack down. Mm. And in that case, it was cleansing, and it was cathartic, and it was freeing. Mm. So they had these two very different encounters with fire. And this episode, she seemed to be the one who was noticing the return of fire to her life again and again and again. Mm. But he was there for a lot of that. In some cases even unknowingly. And I feel like they're having, the two of them are having very different experiences of the same set of fires.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: At this stage, what do you think is the relationship between Carol and Daryl?
0: Carol sort of hints at it when she says that it's like Daryl used to be a kid and now he's a man. So I think maybe Carol thought that she was a kind of parent to Daryl. Someone who looked out for him, at least. Yeah. You know, actual parenting didn't come into it. But someone who, you know, was concerned with him in a parent-like way. And I think what we saw in this episode was them relating to each other as equals. I don't think she considers herself to be...
1: Senior to him.
0: Senior to him in any way. Mm. And I think that we saw that in the way that their exchanges were honest and a little heated at times, you Mm. know, when when they were frustrated with each other. When you're frustrated with a child, I think you're more likely to patronise rather than engage, you know, angrily. Carol did not patronise him and say, Oh, well, you don't understand what I was going through. She says, no, this is how I was feeling. And Mm. you should try and understand that. And his response was, well, so what? You're here now. Fucking deal with it. So, yeah, I I think their relationship has matured, is the short answer. Yep. Yeah. What do you think?
1: No, I think that's... uh, You have covered it admirably. Oh, thank you. (laughs) This next question is a bit... Well, this is going to be the question for this episode that makes me seem like a vicious, heartless bitch.
0: Oh, only this question.
1: I'd try and do one an episode.
0: <laughs> Righto.
1: Sometimes I oversupply.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to say, do you have to try? Eh,
1: well, you know. Anyway, <laughs> how would Carol's development have been different if Sophia had survived?
0: Well, I think she would have had a tether to the old Carol, to the yeah. original Carol. I don't know if it would have been possible for her to continue to be Carol the mother and not Carol the battered wife. I mean, looking at it in a very detached way having a child means that other people are always going to have leverage over you if they have your child or if they have some control over your child. Mm -hmm. And certainly that's one of the ways that abusive partners control the abused person is often through children. So I'm not sure whether it would have been possible for Carol to differentiate herself if, if Sophia had lived. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that she would have been able to move forward and, I guess, kind of bring Sophia with her. Mm -hmm. Because, presumably, Sophia must have carried some deep emotional scars as well.
1: Yes. And, of course, Sophia wouldn't have stayed the Sophia who we knew from the first season. She She would have had her own development occurring as well. Much like Carl.
0: I was going to say, she may have Carlified. (laughs) Yes. Um, In
1: the comic books, and this is not a spoiler because it's now diverged so far that it's no longer relevant... But in the comic books, they're an item. Are they? Yes. Are and they're they? both much younger, but they're in a sort of, like, first boyfriend ever kind of item.
0: <laughs> well, there's not a lot of choices there. <laughs>
1: yeah. They're, they're kind of sweet. Anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I would like to think that Carol would have still gone on a journey of burning away the old and becoming a different, more capable, more self-assured kind of person. Mm-hmm. But a child is a powerful tether. A powerful tether to the past, a powerful tether to emotions. It's hard to leave something like that behind with a constant reminder. I suppose what I would have liked to have seen if Sophia had survived would have been a situation in which they both changed together. In an environment where they weren't constantly afraid of being abused, Mm. the old Sophia and the old Carol would have burnt away and they would have sort of come out of that as beautiful butterflies. Yes. With machetes. (laughs) Hacking at walkers left, right, and centre.
1: Alright, my last episode specific question Mm -hmm. I feel is the most important. Yes. Do you think that Norman Reedus (laughs) has a superpower? (laughs) Because he's the only man I've ever seen who has an inverse relationship between how gross his hair is and how hot he is.
0: (laughs) It was a very important question, Kate. Thank you. I think the answer to that, it's got to be yes. Because I don't think I've I've ever seen anyone with as greasy hair like that inspire such emotions within me. All I have to do is leave my hair for two days and I'm grossed out by it. (laughs) (laughs) So... You know, I mean, we're talking about someone with two years worth of grease. <laughs> Although, you know, if you believe the people who don't like to shampoo and condition their hair supposedly after a, a long period of it being totally gross, somehow your hair becomes self-cleaning. and It, it balances it itself. It balances itself and it stops overproducing oils and things I've like that. I've been told
1: this by a number of people who... Have
0: gross hair? No,
1: no, I was going to say, I've been told this by a number of people who have quite nice hair, Mm. and who I trust, and who aren't, well, I think it'd be strong to say they're not hippies, but I think they're not raging hippies. Right. They're sort of, you know, polite, incense-buying hippies. Mm.
0: Well, is it safe to say that uh, Daryl's is still going through the gross stage? Yes, yes. (laughs) I
1: think it's definitely safe to say that.
0: But somehow has managed to retain attractiveness, despite the grease.
1: He himself seems to grow more and more attractive as his hair becomes increasingly repugnant.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he better not get that hair close to any open flames. It'll act like a wick.
1: Yeah. Maybe that's the end of the fire motif.
0: (laughs) His hair just...
1: (laughs) What's your favourite part of this episode?
0: Hmm... I think probably my favourite part of this episode would be Carol at the window talking about her previous selves burning away. I liked the imagery of it, you know, it worked so well with the fire and smoke theme of the episode, and it explains a lot about what she's been doing, well, ever since the very beginning, really. I'm still wondering whether this is just a continual process. This is just what happens now. You just get more and more layers burn away and new carols emerge. The ones that are equipped to deal with whatever she has to deal with. Mm -hmm. Or whether there is some kind of primal carol waiting to, you know, (laughs) her final form. (laughs) Finally, you know, you'll get to some kind of seed-like carol at the very centre and she is everything that she could possibly be.
1: In my head.
0: Sounds a little messianic.
1: (laughs) The the primal Carol looks an awful lot like the first Slayer.
0: (laughs) I thought maybe she would look quite a lot like uh, the photo I posted on our Facebook page. You know, Carol in a suit of armour with a giant sword, riding a robotic (laughs) T-Rex.
1: Yeah, I I liked that moment as well. Mm. It's tricky to pick something out of this episode, because a lot of this episode was basically one conversation that happened Mm. over about six scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Another moment that I really found very touching was when they were standing by the pyre of the woman and her daughter. Yep. The unspoken understanding between them about what that was and what it meant. Yeah, I thought it was just, it was a very nice moment. It was a beautiful moment. Yeah. Then, of course, there was the lovely bit where they were talking about the painting.
0: (laughs) I did like that. Daryl's
1: description of the painting was priceless.
0: Interestingly, the conversation they had about the painting Mm. reflects the conversation About, you know, all the old me's burning away, blah, blah, blah. And Daryl just going, well, you're not Ash. You know, his his take on it is quite a simple one. And in their own ways, they're both right. The painting is both compelling and kind of shit. (laughs) Mm. It's simple or complex, depending on the way you look at it.
1: Yeah. Comparing that conversation to the conversation last week between Dr. Stephen and Beth about art... Mm-hmm. all week i 've been thinking of that line from Pride and Prejudice, where Mr. Darcy is being asked to dance, yes, and one of the sale lines he gets given, I think by Sir William Lucas or someone, is dancing is the hallmark of any civilized society yes and darcy 's response is
0: any savage and can and dance. every
1: uncivilized one, yes. any savage can dance, yes, and I think about that, and I think about Beth saying, well, I still sing and I just feel like one of the main differences between these two groups is how shut down the hospital people are. Yeah. How, you know, how wistful he is for art when art's really easy. Art is singing or dancing or even shit paintings that you find around the place. hmm It's just an expression of life. Mm. So what he's really missing is his old life. Yeah. And the fact that he doesn't really have one anymore. He's yeah. just surviving with no joy.
0: Yeah, well, arguably any act of creation is an act of art. Yes. And that ain't hard to do.
1: No. And Carol and Daryl are off having some very serious therapeutic conversations, and they're on a very serious mission, and Mm. they're in a really bad way, and and they've got time to (laughs) sit around and think about this painting for a few minutes. Mm. I just, yeah. Got
0: time to be art critics. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs>
1: Everyone's a critic.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I do feel like if it had been you and me in that situation that Carol and Daryl were in, apart from the fact that you and I I don't think we'd be anywhere near as capable of weapons... Yes. I think we'd probably have taken the time to critique the paint.
1: Would you have come down on the Carol or the Daryl side of things?
0: Um, I think if it had been a few years ago, I definitely would have come down on the Daryl side. Mm-hmm. But... Over the years, I've become increasingly of the opinion that when it comes to art like that, you know, particularly abstract kind of pieces, for the most part, the meaning you find it is the meaning you put there. So, in a sense, what you get out of it is directly proportional to what you're willing to put into it. I guess I'm more willing now, these days, to put into art like that to get something out of it. Whereas in the past, I used to just go, well, if it, takes, if it takes any effort to work it out, or if it's not apparent what it is immediately, then I don't have time for it. It's not really me anymore. Well, ah.
1: Well, while I commend that sentiment entirely, mm. I agree with Daryl. It looked like dog wipings.
0: <laughs> it, well, it was brown on green, was it not? I think so. <laughs> yes. Take your dog down to the park, let him have a little wipe on the grass. That so you have your own masterpiece. Absolutely. <laughs> I reckon my nomination for Zombie Kill of the Week was Daryl's cleaving off the side of that zombie's head and the close-up you got to see yes. afterwards. I reckon it was that.
1: It was a great shot and it was a great work of prosthetics.
0: <laughs>
1: I particularly enjoyed the way the machete swung past the jaw. Yes. That was very impressive. Yes. Yeah, I liked that one a lot, but I actually... I have simple tastes, John. <laughs> and I preferred one that came in very early.
0: The head smushy?
1: Which is when they run over the zombie's head in the car.
0: Yes. I feel like we've seen that. Ah, probably. I feel like we've seen head smush a lot.
1: Whereas we've never seen machetes through heads. Well,
0: not done exactly like that, no.
1: Okay.
0: Not done with that attention to detail. Fair enough. So i have that one. It was a
1: very high quality machete. Oh, it
0: was. Yes. Top shelf. Top shelf macheting.
1: Yeah. What score would you give the episode out of 10?
0: I think I'd probably give this one an 8. I mean, that's been a popular score recently. Mm-hmm. Despite the lack of action, which is often what promotes high scores to me, I really liked the flow of the episode and I liked the episode-long conversation and I liked the flashbacks and I liked, you know, all of these things tying in into, to show a very complete picture of Carol. And I liked the use of fire throughout uh, a lot. It was an episode that we don't see very much. That kind of attention to really long-term character development and really quite full discussions about the way characters feel about things. Mm. We don't see it a lot. Considering the last few episodes have been really very action-packed and full of quite big revelations and often quite sudden ones, like, I'm not a scientist! This one was more like a gentle unrolling of a much grander kind of revelation. It was not the shock. It was, this is all the pieces put together.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I think the last few episodes have, though, started to focus more and more on one or two characters. Mm -hmm. So I think in that sense, the structure of this one is similar to the others. But I think you're right in that it didn't also have heaps of... Massive revelations or the other shoe dropping. It was just, Mm. it was. I think it's a very good description. It's, it's all of the pieces being laid out so you can put them together, and it was interesting. I think it was. Well, I think I would give it seven and a half (laughs) if it wasn't all Carol and Daryl, which gets at least another half point out of me. Okay. There wasn't much action. No. Apart from the ridiculous car falling off a motorway (laughs) scenario.
0: Mm Hmm.
1: I think that the two actors were doing a lot of heavy lifting during that conversation to make it work. I don't think it was actually tremendously well put together, Right. that series of scenes. I think sure. the fact that the two very competent people were acting it saved them a lot. Yep. But I did, I liked the fire, I liked all of the pieces they laid out in front of us. I did like the acting, and I love Carol and Daryl. Of course. So, all of that still drags it all the way up to eight. Good. Good. And given that I think we probably had stretches of episodes a couple of years ago where we were giving out fives and sixes, (laughs) Mm. the fact that I'm a little disappointed and it's a 7.5... That's a good sign. It's a very good sign indeed. Yeah. And, you know, every season needs a couple of building episodes. Like you say, this is long-term investment in a couple of characters. Mm. And it's showing us how all the different pieces are going to fall into place so they get around to attacking the hospital. You can't have every single episode be Terminus.
0: A couple of seasons ago, if we'd seen an episode like this, we would be sitting here going, well...
1: Who's going to die? Carol's going
0: to be dead next episode, isn't she? (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, we've just found out all this shit about Carol. (laughs)
1: Definitely dead. Definitely
0: dead. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Of course, if she does die the next episode, I'm going to be extremely unhappy. Agreed. And, you know, I mean, if this isn't going to happen, but if they were to kill them both off, it would just be like, no. That's it. they like, Kate, you and I are going to America. We're going to find the writers. <laughs> We're going to find the writers. We're going to make them rewrite the episode misery point. style. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, please send it to tppfeedback at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as at tppfeedback, and you can find us on Facebook just by searching for The People's Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Unless it's cruel. Then you can fuck right off. Bye. Fucking bye. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised. Will not be televised. Will not be televised. Will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. <laughs>
1: Uh-oh.
0: Nice place. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Fine. Lucky? I like a dog sat in pain wiped like it's ass all over the place. <laughs> I kind of like it. Stop. I'm serious. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Mm. Passing Daryl from his hostel. Stop the way No. Jesus. Mm. Oh. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> Yeah. Whoa! Some Zombie, no legs. Nice
1: machine. Yeah. <gasps> <Ooh. laughs>
0: oh. Anyway, I'm gonna
1: have some ice
0: cream. <laughs> How lovely. <laughs>